0: Our chapter is chapter 19, that's the chapter that we read. Our subject in this series, the series is the names and titles of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our subject tonight is the Word of God. And that only comes in this one verse, which is Revelation chapter 19. Well, I say it only comes in this one verse, but this is really the only verse in the Bible with the full title as described definitely for the person of the Lord Jesus Christ the word of God you will see this chapter does include different names in verse 11 it speaks about this one who John beheld on a white horse and it firstly says in verse 11 that he was called faithful and true that is one name of the Lord Jesus Christ faithful and true and then it says in verse 12 that he had a name written that no man knew but he himself so that was a secret name it's something which God hasn't revealed God doesn't reveal everything wise parents don't reveal everything do they to their children so it's not surprising in a way that God doesn't reveal everything. But in any case, here it is, he had a name and no one else was told it, Whatever that name was. Then of course we come to verse 13 which says his name is called the Word of God. And then in verse 16 we have a name written on his vesture and on his thigh and that name is king of kings and lord of lords there are three people referred to in the bible as king of kings I think there's only one referred to as lord of lords but the lord Jesus Christ is the king of kings as you hear us may have been called the king of kings he may have been a mighty king but he was nothing contrasted with the Lord Jesus Christ Nebuchadnezzar who was before him although the name comes afterwards in the Bible was called the king of kings and certainly he was a great king Nebuchadnezzar but he was nothing like the Lord Jesus Christ and there we are in this verse 16 we have this name written King of kings and lord of lords uh, so far no one's taken that subject for this year and I thought they would do um, there's still one person to take one month which hasn't yet been booked we'll see if he comes up with that I don't know but there are many names of course to choose from once you start talking about names and titles of the lord Jesus Christ there are many as far as I can make out This particular title that we've chosen tonight in verse 13, The Word of God, the more I've tried to look at it, the more wonderful it seems to me, and the more I feel that really I'm quite inadequate to try and deal with it. It It's a wonderful title, The Word of God. I'll let you into a secret. And uh, that is this that Mr. Paul Connor died 57 years ago last week. Mr. Paul Connor was a great man in standing for the truth. He was an SGAT speaker, a regular SGAT speaker. I had the privilege of taking the chair for him once when I was quite young. I don't know why Mr. Fomer asked me to do that for such a man like Mr. Paul Connor, but he did. And I was very pleased to do it but uh, he was a great man he died on the 20th of January and that means three years from now will be did I say the 57th? it was 1962, it's the 47th three years from now will be the 50th anniversary of his passing that may mean nothing but in 1966 the FIEC asked Mr David Fountaine who was the minister at Southampton to write a book about Mr Paul Connor but Mr Fountaine didn't know much about Paul Connor but he was a historian, he liked looking into history and he came up with a book which was reasonably good he went to some people to find out his information and he came out with this book and I can remember that time in 1960s I can remember that time Mr Framo was a bit aghast I can remember him saying to me I can't understand why they've asked a the man who hardly knew Mr Paul Connor to write this book but anyway he said to me he hasn't put in anything about his views on prophecy well Mr Framo soon remedied that he gave him a lot of information about Mr. Paul Connor's views on prophecy. and Mr. Paul Connor spoke many, many times at our SGAT meetings. So Mr. Fontaine put a few pieces in his book. There are a couple of pages there in which he talks about um, Mr. Paul Connor's views on prophecy. how he was a, um, a man who was greatly helped by James Stevens and was a great friend of James Stevens how he loved the writings of Mr Newton and so on so that's in the book 1966 edition but the Wakeman Trust which I believe is the Metropolitan Tabernacle brought out the book in 2005 a reprint of it and I haven't seen the reprint but I've ordered one now so I hope to see it soon and I did see a letter in the English churchman last year in which someone wrote and I didn't know who the man was, there was no address of course so I couldn't contact him but he, he wrote in saying that there was no mention in this reprint of Mr Paul Connor's prophetical views that part had been taken out of the book well now I've ordered the book and I hope it will come I shall see if that's true but we mentioned that in council in our council meeting we mentioned that this book has been reprinted and as far as we know Mr Paul Connor's prophetical views have been left out so what did the council say they said well the 50th anniversary is coming up in three years time 2012, January 2012 what we ought to do is print a book of Mr Paul Connor's sermons so of course I've been going through all the old watching and waitings digging out these sermons and going through them many of them I've read twice some I've read three times <laughs> and uh, they're lovely to read I, um, I wrote to Mr McMillan and I said to him he had a, a lovely delivery as well as a, a, a clear understanding of truth but of course there are lots of sermons of his that never went into watching and waiting there are only comparatively few it's going to be about 30 I suppose in the end I don't know exactly I haven't counted them but um, that were printed in one form or another but what I was going to say was this on reading his sermons it makes me feel very incompetent to try and deal with a subject like this tonight. Dear Mr. Paul Connor, dealt with things so beautifully, so thoroughly, so clearly, and so concisely. It was lovely to read what he had to write. But there we are. I've got the subject, the Word of God, and I, I've thought since I've been reading these sermons of Paul Connor, I thought to myself, why ever did I choose this subject? Because I don't think, really, that it's an easy one. It, not that there's not much about it in the Bible but what I mean to say is it's um, it's such a full subject you can never really say what ought to be said I, I don't think I can anyway but I'll try and bring a few things before you tonight. I thought we could just look at it under three heads the meaning of the title the word of God that's the first one and the, the second one the setting and that of course is looking at it as it comes in this particular chapter Revelation 19 and then just shortly at the end just the application the meaning, the setting and the application the, the word is of course in the Greek you all know that quite well logos that's how we would say it in our English in English we would spell it L-O-G-O-S Logos And it's a word that's used in the Greek That's in the New Testament A lot of times It's uh, translated in a, a lot of different ways I looked up Young's analytical concordance And I was surprised I didn't count the number of words But um, it was translated in, in, a, in a lot of different ways into our English language the same word logos but normally it's translated as word and in point of fact Young says that 208 times in the New Testament the word logos is translated as word with a small w and 7 times it's translated as word with a capital W. Well, we do believe that those times, those as capital W, it definitely refers to the Lord Jesus, and all those times are exclusively in the writings of John. Um, I noticed that Ryle seemed to think that that um, John was the only one that actually spoke of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, as the word other writers seem to think that there were other references in the scripture where um, the the Lord Jesus Christ is referred to when we have this word the word word word. that's right but John uses it in the main and you will know of course that it does come in John chapter 1 comes four times in John chapter 1 you might like to look back there at John chapter 1. The gentleman here from Paynton tonight. I don't know whether I should mention this, but there used to be a public house in Paynton. Did we talk about public houses at SGAT meetings? I can't ever remember that before happening. <laughs> but there used to be a public house in Paynton called the Coverdow and it, it used to have it used to have a um, a sign board with a picture of Miles Coverdow on and that was because Miles Coverdow lived in Payton when he was Bishop of Exeter from 1551 to 1553 they've changed the name of the pub now it's called the Lime Tree that's right I think the Lime Tree so the old sign has gone down I wonder what's happened to it but on the sign it used to have this verse John 1 in ye beginning was ye word So when I think of this text I somehow think of paint and (laughs) and, and of Coverdale. But you know John brings this fact out And and he he does bring things out which the other writers of the gospel records do not bring out Of course we call the other three Matthew, Mark and Luke and John Matthew, Mark and Luke rather We call them the synoptic (laughs) gospels and John is distinct, but there are lots of things that John mentioned in his writings that the others do not mention. There are things, of course, that come in others. The crucifixion is in all, of course, and the feeding of the 5,000. But there are lots of things in John, like the story of Lazarus, for instance, and Nicodemus, and I expect you can think of others. I'm just saying these uh, as they come to my mind, that John only wrote. But uh, certainly in, in this aspect, the The bringing forth of the Lord Jesus Christ as the Word, John is exclusive in that. John doesn't mention, really, the the nativity story at all, anything about wise men or anything about shepherds or anything about uh, the other things that came into the stories that we read in other Gospels. But he does bring out this fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Word. And if you could just look at those first few verses, it's worth seeing this. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So whatever the Word was, or whoever the Word was, well, it was something different from God the Father. God there is referring of course to God the Father the same was in the beginning with God all things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made in him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shineth in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not but if you go over to verse 14 it says there the word was made flesh so there we're specifically told whoever or whatever this word was became flesh was made flesh and dwelt among us the word made is inserted in verse 14 but it doesn't come in these first verses in fact we learn that the word which we know to be the Lord Jesus Christ but the word was in the beginning Now when Mr. Park was here last September, he referred to the fact that the Bible starts with the name of Christ and ends with the name of Christ. Right at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis, you have in the beginning. The beginning is the name of Christ. And it ends with Amen. Amen is the name of Christ. And the whole book is about Christ. I once went to a TBS meeting um, years ago when I was a boy, this was. and somebody was saying that the first letter in the Bible was I and the last letter was N and the whole of God's word is in that that, uh, well between the I and the N in, in the Bible but here we have in the beginning was the word I think there are some things that are very important to say about the word in connection with this first of all that the word is eternal in the beginning, if you could go right back to the beginning the word was already there, the Lord Jesus Christ was there that's the emphasis, he was there before all things, he was there at the beginning in fact that word was really means existed or was existing, was already existing the word was there so we have we have it carefully stated there that the Lord Jesus is eternal it's a very important point the word didn't become the word when he became flesh he was always the word always the word he did become flesh that's what we read in verse 14 but he was eternally God our forefathers used to emphasize the doctrine of the eternal sonship he was eternally the son of God so he was eternally the word of God the next thing we learn there is that he was a distinct person the word was with God with God the father now he's one with the Father co-eternal, co-equal and a whole lot of other things one with the Father but he's a distinct person he is a person in the Godhead It is one God and these things perhaps might be hard for our finite minds to grasp but we have to believe the revelation of God in the Bible here that the Lord Jesus Christ was with the Father And that was so right from the very start. Well, there was no start in a way, but in the beginning. We can't go back to the beginning. That was eternally so. Something, again, we can't grasp. And the next thing we learn about the word was that he was God. I remember Mr. Malcolm Watts emphasising that very often people don't read that little phrase correctly they say the word was God as if he was God and isn't now but that's not really what it indi- what it's saying what it is saying is the word was God the word was God he was God he was always God the Lord Jesus Christ was always God so that's a very important thing to take in isn't it and of course in these the next few phrases verse 3 we find that all things were made by him I want you to take special notice of that because it must come out later he is the creator of all things the word is the creator and then it says in him was life and the life was the light of men all the light that men have or ever had Came from the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that what you understand by those words? That's what I understand by them. It really means that Adam and Eve, before they fell, the light they received and the life they received was from the Lord Jesus Christ. That's a tremendous thing when you start thinking of it, isn't it? And then, of course, when you come to verse 14 you find that the word was made flesh so that's what happened in time in the fullness of time God sent his son made of a woman that's what Galatians tells us And Jesus became Jesus who was eternally God the eternal God, the eternal word became flesh, became man now there again these things are all too wonderful aren't they almost too wonderful to grasp Is a distinct person in the Godhead. He is God. And he took upon himself manhood by being born as a man. He still retained his Godhead. But he's very God and very man. Now to help me out, I went to the prayer book this afternoon and just copied out what it says in article 2 of the prayer book I expect I could have gone to some other confession but I think the prayer book is very good article 2 of the prayer book is of the word or son of God which was made very man this is what it says and I think this is wording it more perfectly than I ever could the son which is the word of the father begotten from everlasting of the father the very and eternal God and of one substance with the Father took man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin of her substance so that two whole and perfect natures that is to say the Godhead and manhood were joined together in one person never to be divided whereof is one Christ very God and very man who truly suffered was crucified dead and buried to reconcile his father to us and to be a sacrifice not only for original guilt but also for the actual sins of men well that's the old book of common prayer that's Cranmer and I think that sums it up very well if if what I've said isn't very clear well Cranmer I think is clear Jesus is the eternal God he became man he has these two natures they're not now to be divided he will always be man even in heaven he is as a man uh, appearing for men, even at this present time he's eternal he's a distinct person of the Godhead he is God he is the creator and he is the source of spiritual life now if you turn over to John's epistle you'll find the other references 1 John 5 in 1 John 5 verse 7 I suppose really we ought to read it all to get the context but you will know it anyway so we'll keep to verse 7 for the sake of time there are three that bear record in heaven the Father, the Word and the Holy Ghost and these three are one and there are three that bear witness in earth that's the next verse the Spirit and the Water and the Blood and these three, the green one I just mentioned that next verse 8 because many of you will know that in the Westcott and the Hawke manuscripts um, some of this verse is left out or these verses are left out it just gives the first part of verse seven, then goes to the end of verse eight. There are three that bear record in heaven, and then it goes on. Or well, these three are one, something like that. I'm not quite sure what it says in the modern manuscript, in the modern versions. But notice in our authorized version, there is no word in italics. There's nothing put in. The received text gives it as we have it here. These words are all included and there are three that bear record in heaven the Father and then there's the Word the Word and the Holy Ghost so when John is writing this epistle sometime later he's, he's making it very clear that, that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is the second person as we call them not inferior in any way but as we term it the second person in that blessed Trinity the Father, Son and Holy Ghost if you just turn back to chapter 1 verse 1 there's the other one with the capital W 4 in John one, two in this epistle and 1 in the book of Revelation 7 times every time by John that which we have heard from the beginning no that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes and which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life so there's the emphasis um, when I talk about the word I'm very conscious that there have been those who, who come forth theologians who have come forth with different reasons why the Lord Jesus Christ was given the name of the word I, I do feel in my own mind that it is a really simple matter perhaps I'm too simple a fellow but you know the word a word is something by which we make known our our minds if I want to tell you what's in my mind I try and do it by words I I use a word to to say what I'm thinking or if you were miles away I would write some words to tell you what It's in my mind, what I want or whatever. It seems to me very much that the title here, the Word of God is given to the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the one that reveals God. If you turn back to John 1 John 1 and verse 18 it says there, no man hath seen God at any time I take that to be the same God as in verse 1, God the Father no man has seen God the Father at any time but people have seen the only begotten Son they have seen the Lord Jesus and then the verse ends by saying he hath declared him he's made him known it's the Son who makes the Father known and the purpose of the Father known and in that sense he's the Word he's the revealer of things which otherwise we could not possibly know now turn to 1 Timothy 6 will you 1 Timothy 6 again a well known verse but it's good to look at it who only hath immortality dwelling in the light which no man can approach unto whom no man hath seen nor can see so this text really the apostle here is emphasizing the fact that no one can really see God the Father he is absolute purity and there is no way in which any of us could behold him now turn over to 1 Peter 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 23 now here's an interesting verse talks about being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth forever now it does seem to me that that is speaking about the, the scriptures and the revelation of God but what um, I think about this is it seems to me the more I've thought about it it's hard to divide the scriptures from the Lord Jesus Christ you know um, Joseph Hart wrote that lovely hymn didn't he say Christian must thou thrive in knowledge of thy Lord against no scripture ever strive but tremble at his word if aught thy dark, thy, thy dark appear be rather want of sight no imperfection can be there for all God's words are right and so on but coming to the last verse it says the scriptures and the Lord bear one most holy or some books so tremendous name the written and the incarnate word in all things are the same and there is a sense in which our being born again although it's by the word of God and dear oh dear we could look at so many references couldn't we in the Bible to this the word of God and although we think of it by the God speaking really and he speaks through the Bible the written word it is true to say that he speaks too through the Lord Jesus Christ I suppose really we get that we look at that text later on though. that's just come to my mind turn over to 2 Peter will you 2 Peter 3 <clears throat> it talks there about people being really ignorant willingly ignorant and that's what they'll be like of course when the Lord comes again people are willingly ignorant today aren't they well they were willingly ignorant before that's what God is saying here through Peter but it, it, they were ignorant of the fact that it was by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water I just mention this because yes it was by the word of God we know it was by the word of God God said let there be light and there was light he spoke it was his word that brought into being light it was God that spoke and brought into being the fields and the the grass and the trees and and the animal world the fishes and all that kind of thing and even man God spoke it all into being but then there's that text that we've just looked at in John, which speaks about him as as about the Lord Jesus Christ, the word as being the Creator. So there is definitely a sense in which God used the Lord Jesus Christ in order to bring about the creation. Those things that men are willingly ignorant of. And then when you come to verse 7, you see the heavens and the earth, which are now it's by the same word are kept in store well yes it's by the word of God the spoken word of God that there is a sense I feel sure you must agree with that there is a sense in which it is by the Lord Jesus Christ now some uh, commentators seem to think that Acts 20 verse 32 definitely refers to the Lord Jesus Christ 20 verse 32 where the apostle says I commend you to God and to the word of his grace and to the Lord Jesus Christ the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ well there must be some link somewhere I think I wouldn't be dogmatic about that but there must be some link somewhere and the same with Hebrews 4 that again is a well known text Hebrews 4 verse 12 the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword well that does speak about the written word we, we use that as, as speaking about the Bible don't we but on the other hand um, it, the Lord Jesus Christ as the word would also be involved in God's work in that way and the other text in Hebrews that I thought of just earlier is of course chapter 1 it says there in Hebrews 1 right at the beginning God who at sundry times and in divers manners spake in time passed unto the fathers by the prophets hath in these last days spoken unto us by his son his son is the word whom he hath appointed heir of all things but then there's this little sentence by whom also he made the worlds does that make some of these other things click into place that I've been trying to explain when you get these other texts which speak about the word of God bringing about the creation you'll think of another text won't you Psalm 33 Psalm 33 it says there in verse 6 by the word of Jehovah were the heavens made well yes it was by God speaking them into existence but when we think of that verse in Hebrews and the other verses in John and so on it's by the word of God the Lord Jesus Christ is involved in all this isn't he and in Psalm 107 again a a well known psalm Psalm 107 it says there in verse 20 he sent his word well it was true that God spoke to them there were words that we speak of as proceeding out of his mouth but God did send his word but he sent the Lord Jesus Christ as well what I'm trying to say is all these things indicate that there's such a strong reference between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Bible as Joseph Hart said in that lovely hymn you'll know those well known words in Colossians chapter 1 Colossians chapter 1 for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers all things were created by him and for him and he is before all things and by him all things consist so there's an emphasis there about the place that the Lord Jesus Christ took in the creation and just lastly there are lots of other texts we could go to but just lastly for now let's turn to the book of the revelation itself just chapter 1 shall we it's a small w again here although it's John writing but in verse 2 verse 1 speaks about it's the revelation of Jesus Christ Jesus Christ has been revealed in this book Strictly speaking, it's not the revelation of St. John the Divine as the heading gives. I love the headings of books. But strictly speaking, it's not quite right there. The revelation of Jesus Christ, God gave it to him. He showed it to his servants. He sent it by his angel through John. So there's a pattern. God gives it to Christ. Christ gives it to the angel to give to John to give to the people. But when it comes to John, it says, Who bear record of the word of God small w and of the testimony of Jesus Christ so there's the link there again if it refers to the spoken word there's certainly John was bearing record to Jesus Christ who was and is the eternal word and then in verse 9 of this same chapter he says I John who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was in the hour that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ similar words aren't they he was there for the word of God God had given these utterances John (coughs) was suffering for that because he had stood by the word of God but it was the testimony of Jesus Christ (laughs) you know dear friends it's the same today isn't it people have to suffer if they stand for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ and Jesus is the word of God well that's a a very poor setting forth, I think but we've gone through some of the scriptures a little anyway to show the wonder of the meaning of of this title the word of God can I, I just look at the setting now the setting of it really you've got it here in Revelation 19 but this particular time is referred to elsewhere in the scripture and Matthew 13 is an example the parable of the tares or the wheat and the tares whatever you like to call it in that particular parable Matthew 13 and in verse 39 we have the words the harvest is the end of the world there but that's not the cosmos, the material world a word that is so often used for for the world in the Bible this is the word eon spelt with an A but pronounced with the E eon, the word eon and and it really means the age twice it is translated in the Bible as as ages but um, here it's translated as in other places as world it's really the end of the age and that's what Revelation 19 is talking about the end of the age we have a a similar kind of reference at the end of Matthew if you go to Matthew 28 right at the end of this gospel Jesus said go ye therefore and teach all nations etc and he says teach them to serve all things which I have commanded you and then he says lo I am with you all the way even unto the end of the age the end of the world it's translated there but it really is the end of the age and uh, this is the period the setting here in this particular chapter now let's look at this uh, chapter can we Revelation 19 Mr Newton gives in his book Facts of Prophetic Scripture he gives a very good little summary of the book of Revelation I always carry it in my Bible (laughs) I think it's very useful to have it in your Bible the summary that Mr Newton gave in his book of facts of prophetic scripture but um, when it comes to these last chapters he, he points out that really the chapter divisions perhaps are not as helpful as they could be well I'm thinking of chapter 19 tonight just chapter 19 but he suggests that chapter 19 should be just these first ten verses, verses one to ten, that speaks of course of uh, what happens in heaven as a result of the previous two chapters, or the previous chapter anyway, being brought to pass. And then he, he gives the next chapter, chapter 20, as from 1911, 19 verse 11 that is, right through to chapter 21 verse 8. and then chapter 21 he feels should have been verses 9 to 22 of that chapter no 9 to the end sorry right through to 22 and verse 5 that's what we have here and then the the closing remarks or conclusion just um, from verses 6 to 21 well that's just how he gives it but we'll not concern ourselves with that tonight I'm, I'm just going to Going through as quickly as we can through this chapter 19 to show the setting when the Lord Jesus Christ will be seen as the word of God now you'll notice that these opening verses do refer to that what John saw in heaven or what he heard in heaven, he heard a voice of much people in heaven saying alleluia Hallelujah!" we can say really the hallelujah comes in again in verse 3 and it comes in verse 4 we can really say it comes in uh, another verse doesn't it verse 6 we can really say that in God's program the hallelujah chorus is to be sung at the end of this age and it's going to be sung at the destruction of Babylon that's it they'll all be singing hallelujah in heaven well in the Greek it's without the H I like the H as it is in the Hebrew hallelujah but it's hallelujah here isn't it Then all be singing in heaven hallelujah when Babylon is destroyed well Babylon's very much in the news today isn't it and it will be in the news it will be in the news I believe that everywhere in the Bible where it says Babylon it means Babylon Babylon on the Euphrates it does not mean Rome or anywhere else God says what he means and he means what he says and here in the book of Revelation when you read about Babylon it's Babylon in Iraq we call it Iraq today You know, people laugh at us, don't they? Some of you well know a man who who criticised our position because we believe that Babylon is going to be built up. And uh, he said, "Why don't they read Isaiah 13, which says that Babylon's destroyed forever?" But Isaiah. 13 does say that when Babylon will be destroyed it will be destroyed forever but that wasn't at the times of the Medo-Persians because Isaiah 13 talks about certain people dwelling there and they do dwell there but Isaiah says there will be a time when they won't dwell there any longer and that hasn't happened yet because they do dwell there they are there today people are there today I expect Babylon to be rebuilt and for what we read here to come to pass Babylon is the devil's city the city of the devil Jerusalem is the city of God and that's why Satan hates it and that's why there's always trouble in Jerusalem and there will be trouble in Jerusalem until the Lord Jesus Christ comes we're told to pray for the police of Jerusalem like our chairman has prayed tonight But really that's praying for the Prince of Peace to come. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only one that will bring peace. There will be problems all through the years. As long as this age shall last. But Babylon is the city of the devil. It was there really that false religion started. Now I know someone will say to me, well Cain had a false religion. But Cain's religion was wiped out with the flood. After the flood, false religion started at Babylon. All the systems of false religion come from Babylon whether it's Romanism, Communism, Buddhism, Hinduism or any otherism, which Mr Eaton used to say will one day become Muslims and uh, there we are whatever it was they all started at Babylon Rome is like Babylon of course it is because it's the daughter of Babylon but it's not Babylon and all these systems as I see from the word of God will ultimately unite you know I believe that Romanism will lose its distinctives I think I was speaking to someone recently who just couldn't hardly believe that would be true but it will be true and uh, Mohammedanism will lose its distinctives the spirit of ecumenism and fellowship of faiths will grow until they're all united and it will just be true believers (laughs) even the Protestants so called will all be in it (laughs) all the professors (laughs) Uh, as well as Rome and all the rest just the Jews and 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 the true believers who will stand apart from it, uh, and then in, in this particular section chapter 18, 17 and 18 really, we have the religious religious uh, personnel in Babylon and see how the Antichrist takes it all over and we have the the commercial aspect or the business aspect of Babylon in chapter 18, but it's all going to be destroyed in one hour, that's what God says, read Abel 18 it's all going to be destroyed in one hour and when it is destroyed that's what this revelation 19 tells us that will be the time when there will be the hallelujah chorus sung in heaven hallelujah, hallelujah it's all over for them now God is going to show his power of course all these things there are lots of things to happen at the end of the age this is just one of them, the destruction of Babylon, but it will happen. And uh, you notice it, it says in in those other verses, "Well, Hallelujah for the Lord God Omnipotent Reigneth." is a lovely chorus, isn't it? To be sung. What a wonderful thing when God does reign. We shan't have to we shan't have to rely on Barack Obama or George Bush or. Brown what's his name Mr Brown anyway Gordon Brown that's why I couldn't think of his Christian name or any of these other men they all come and they all go don't they Um, the Lord will ultimately reign and that will be a wonderful thing and it was um, and there's this invitation to the marriage supper of the Lamb well I can't picture that in my mind but it's a wonderful thing when God's people will ultimately be drawn, drawn together to be with the Lord and we read there at the end of verse 9 these are the true sayings of God you know they're true <laughs> it will happen <laughs> it's not just a, a fairy story a wild idea it's the true sayings of God yeah, people listen to them, what men say and think they're true but the fact is that it's what God says that's really true why don't people listen to what God says why won't people believe what God says why are people so often that, well of course it's our human nature but they're the true sayings of God and here's an interesting verse, verse 10 John fell at his feet to worship him he said see thou do it not I am thy fellow servant and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus worship God I've been thinking about that verse this last week when I've been thinking of this meeting you know I trust we don't worship any servants of God we love them and it's right that we should love them I've, I've grown a, a great love for Mr. Paul Connor in reading his writings and some of these other men I've been reading through and Mr. Fromo's and some of these writings it makes me love them more and more when I read them. I, love them, I love them dearly remember this always they're only servants of God they're only servants of God it's God we have to worship but then in verse 11 comes forth this picture of the Lord Jesus Christ it's a vision that is given to John something that is happening in heaven which is a picture of something which will happen subsequently on earth it's the Lord Jesus Christ who will come and it is the Lord Jesus Christ you know in in, um, verse 12 it says there his eyes were like a flame of fire and if you look back in chapter 1 perhaps I didn't ought to do that now but he is described in that way and on his head were many crowns now that's I think that's lovely don't you on his head were many crowns you know it says earlier on in the book of Revelation that the ten kings the ten kings who will be ruling the the old earth around the Mediterranean when I say the old earth it's yet to come of course but that area when they're ruling it says they give their power to the beast they're going to give their kingdoms over to the antichrist well supposing he's got ten crowns that'd be lovely wouldn't it but the Lord Jesus Christ has many crowns it's not just ten (laughs) I think that's lovely don't you he has many crowns and uh, he comes with his vesture dipped in blood well we'll look at that when we come to verse 15 if we get there but uh, that's very important too isn't it his vesture dipped in blood I was going to say just a little bit somewhere about these people in linen, clean and white in verse 8 I think that's important to just mention that it does speak to us of the the way in which the, the true saints of God will appear before God in spite of all their sin and we know we're all sinners I'm a sinner and you're a sinner none of us can say anything differently from that we've read in the prayer book haven't we that Jesus came to take away our original guilt as well as our actual sins and we're all sinners but they're in in linen clean and white that speaks of purity that's how we will be if we're true believers in the sight of God but why I mention it is because in the end of the verse 8 it says there the finding inning is the righteousness of saints earlier this year a man wrote to me from the other side of the globe and he said to me that he would written a book and would I look through it and uh, see if I well give him any comments that I'd like to make on it well I wrote back and said yes I'd be pleased to do that anyway so he sent me the book over and I've started to read it I've read most of it in point of fact and I've told him all my comments mainly it's English comments there are some doctrinal things that I've tried to say uh, one thing i tried to emphasise to him is this, that he's gone over to using the NKJV and I think that's very very sad and he's quoted this Revelation 19 verse 8 now I haven't got an NKJV but the quote that he gave was the fine inning is the righteous acts of saints now that is doctrinal error that is doctrinal error it's not our acts that gives us our righteousness it's the righteousness of Christ imputed to us well I wrote to him and I said to him that you see I don't know whether he's taken I found out Malcolm Watts and I said did you know about this because it's not in his book on the NKJV he said yes there's lots of things I didn't mention he knew all about it obviously from the way he spoke straight away to me but uh, these things these these versions that aren't reliable it's best to leave them alone but I was coming down really to the other part when the Lord Jesus Christ appears he does come and it is him he is the word of God and you'll notice it says in verse 14 about those that followed him clothed in finding in white and clean and out of his mouth goes the sharp sword there again I was going to refer you to some of these passages um, in Revelation 1 or you know the the first three chapters of Revelation but if you've got a margin in your Bible you'll see that's referred to there it's a description of the Lord Jesus Christ but the sharp sword is the word of God you know it's coming back to the same subject really it's the sword that goes out of his mouth it's by his word that's the wonderful thing isn't it that's the wonderful thing about the works of God God works through his word we don't need to go about and kill everybody that doesn't agree with what we believe we don't have to be rough with them or unkind to them even it's by the words of truth that the witness is given it's by the words of truth that the battle is won anyway he'll have a sharp sword in his mouth that he should go and smite the nations he shall rule them with a rod of iron well now I was going to refer to some of these other places Uh, you might have them in your margin they're in the margin here Psalm 2 and and of course in chapter 2 and in chapter 12 there are references to this rod of iron the chapter 2 is a very interesting one um, because it talks about believers there and I would also like to have gone to Isaiah 11 and Psalm 110 but I don't think we've got time to do that now but the Bible does speak about this rod of iron this rod of iron speaks to us of his strong government doesn't it strong government but then he goes on to say about his judgment because it says he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God that's what this word of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, will do. He will tread the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And there you are. That's a quote. If I was going to look it up in Isaiah 63, but it's probably in your margin. It's referred to actually, actually as well in Revelation 14. You can look these up if you really, when you get home. But when you tread a winepress, you tread on the grapes and squash them all out that's what we're used to do tread the grapes out and the juice ran away you know a lot of our hymns no perhaps not a lot some of our hymns talk about the treading of the winepress as if it's the Lord Jesus Christ suffering for sin well that's not what it means at all Jesus did suffer for sin and he did bear terrible judgment that's true but when the scripture refers to the treading of the winepress it's the Lord Jesus Christ as it were bringing his judgment while it is to the Antichrist and the nations that are ruled by the Antichrist as I see it here it's not the general uh, I can't go into all that now can I it's not the general resurrection it's Christ dealing with the armies of the Antichrist when he comes but surely you will understand that The, the resurrection of the unjust is a lot later but when he comes he'll be dealing with those who have joined In the Antichrist's army, and uh, then there's this cry for the birds of the air and things to eat of their flesh. That's an amazing thing, isn't it? They're all going to rise. They're all going to rise. The flesh is going to (laughs) rise, just like Job's. The worms destroyed his body. In his flesh, he should see God, and these will be destroyed. But they'll all have to rise at the, the great and final resurrection of the unjust. And that's a very solemn thing to see, isn't it? But when you come to verse 19, it says there I saw the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat upon the horse and against his army and the beast, that's the antichrist himself of course do I need to emphasize that? I'm sure you know it the beast was taken it's not a system that's taken, it's a person that's taken the beast was taken, this final ruler it will be worse than any of today's rulers, much worse than any of today's rulers. This final ruler is taken, and what God does with him, he takes him and his and his false prophet. You remember Revelation thirteen talks about these two men, it talks about the Trinity of evil really, the devil and the 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 beast or the antichrist, and the false prophet, the man who often been described, hasn't it, as the like Goebbels was to Hitler, the false prophet will be to the Antichrist but God takes these two persons the antichrist and his false prophet the false prophet that wrought miracles before him and which he deceived those um, that had received the mark of the beast and then that had worshipped his image and these two were both even before Christ's reign these two were cast alive their people being cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone now really I I have nothing to say on that because I I would like to say more but I don't think the word of God could be any clearer it speaks for itself they're taken and they're put in Gehenna the lake of fire and that's referred to of course at the end of chapter 20 isn't it the lake of fire verse 14 that's the second death death and Hades are cast into Gehenna those who are now in what we often call hell will be cast into the lake of fire ultimately in the judgment of God but here in this Revelation 19 you have the picture that these two men will be cast into it at that early stage before the devil is because that happens afterwards and before the rest of the dead are put into the lake of fire these two men go well we've just rushed over that really but These are very, very solemn things, aren't they? But they're they're the true words of God. They're the true words of God. It's what God says. And it's going to happen. It is going to happen. God will destroy Babylon. The Lord Jesus Christ shall come. He comes as the word of God. And he deals with the Antichrist and his armies. There will be that judgment. I couldn't help thinking of Psalm 96 it says there many Psalms we could go to say among the heathen that's the nations or the Gentiles that Jehovah reigneth. the world also shall be established if you don't know what these verses mean by deburr on the Psalms he will tell you what it means but I'm telling you what it means it means Revelation 19 it's going to happen then Psalm 96 is fulfilled when Revelation 19 is fulfilled the world also shall be established that it shall not be moved he shall judge the people righteously let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad let the sea roar and the fullness thereof let the field be joyful and all that is therein then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before Jehovah for he cometh for he cometh to judge the earth he shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth just lastly um, the application we'll be very quick on this I think in a way there's a word in verse 5 which sums it all up in verse 5 of Revelation 19 it says praise our God all ye his servants and ye that fear him ye that fear him that little word fear you know, this really divides the world, doesn't it? There are people who fear God and there are people who don't fear God. That's really the truth of the matter. And you tonight are either amongst those who fear God or you don't fear God. If you'd rather do what a man tells you than you would rather do what God tells you, to me that's an evidence that there's something wrong with the fear of the Lord in your heart. This fears the spirit of faith a confidence that's strong an anxious light to all that's right a bar to all that's wrong that's a verse that's meant a lot to my wife and I in this last few months this fears the spirit of faith a confidence that's strong an anxious light to all that's right if you fear God you'll want to do the right whatever people say about you whatever they do to you whatever they think of you it doesn't really matter you'll want to do the right an anxious light to all that's right a bar to all that's wrong I think really if we have that fear of God we will keep these things in mind that the Lord Jesus Christ is coming again and he's come to deal with me he is come to deal with me and we're all involved in this there is a time when we must all stand before God we either stand clothed in the righteousness of Christ or else we're condemned to eternal judgment to be with the antichrist and indeed the devil you know that's a fact it is a fact people who don't fear God they're all ultimately to be cast in the lake of fire modernist ministers might not like that but the bible is quite clear on the issue and I think this chapter is quite clear plenty of other chapters anyway but it's something we ought to keep in mind all the time everything you do, every day think of it, I must one day stand before God there is this time coming keep it in mind the whole time then I suggest it will affect our walk, one of Mr. Paul Connor's Sermons, is a lovely one I hope you'll all read these sermons and get benefit from them if they come out in 2012 there's one on the church's walk and he talks about the various walks that I mentioned in the Bible And he brings out very very lovely in a beautiful way Ephesians 5 15-16 where it says something like walk circumspectly redeeming the time because the days are evil something like that it says there how we ought to walk circumspectly now if you fear God you'll want to walk circumspectly you know John says in his epistle 1 John 3 verse 3 about every man that hath this hope in him purified himself and that's true if you really believe what it says here in Revelation 19 about the coming of the word of God the Lord Jesus Christ you'll not want to work in walk in paths of impurity, purifies himself. That's what a man will seek to do. You don't have to have me watching you or any of your deacons or your minister or whatever watching you to see if you're doing the right thing or not. You'll be conscious that God is seeing you, all that you do. And it will have that effect upon you. You'll want to do what is right. I used to love that verse, 1 John, well, I still do, 1 John 3 3. Mr. Fromo always used to say, the, the scriptural hope is a purifying hope. And that's true. I think it's a good sentence to get in your mind. I've had it in my mind since Mr. Fromo was alive. Good to keep there. The scriptural hope is a purifying hope. And of course, if I took you over to Peter 2, it says there about walking diligently as you see the day approaching. You know, it's an emphasis in scripture, isn't it? That our walk will be such. It must if we really believe these things they must have an application on their lives we won't want to walk carelessly because I have to emphasize the fact too that it will really mean separation that's what the Bible teaches to come out and be separate and touch not the unclean thing again that's something that people don't like to hear these days but that's what the Bible says and really when you think it through it's a terrible thing not to be separate from those who are going to the lake of fire we've only read of the beast and the false prophet going to the lake of fire tonight but all the unregenerate will go into the lake of fire it's an awful thing to go with them and therefore I feel there should be an emphasis in our preaching and there should be an emphasis in our, our thinking on separation from the world it's a thing that's almost forgotten these days when I was young but it was emphasised more separation from the world what wasn't emphasised so much in the olden days was separation from false religion but that's an important thing too separation from false religion perhaps I could say more but I'll leave it at that you can think it through that's God's purpose for us that we should live separated lives. Now, you fear God, you want to do what God says. Don't worry about what people think. Whoever they might be, do what God says. Fear God. I'd rather be amongst those who John saw in heaven, singing the praises of God. They were people that did fear him. Both small and great. That's what we're told there. Anyway